You're listening to the Dirty Dozen Podcast, a podcast for music fans where musicians and friends share some drinks and talk about the top 12 songs by an artist without all that technical jargon. Join us for episode 54, this week's artist, Queen. And now we join a conversation that I had on the street. Hey, I heard you were doing Queen. Wow, that Bohemian Rhapsody was such a great film. I felt like I was there, Freddie walking up to a band who we just saw lose a singer and auditioning and getting the part. Oh, it's so perfect. Well, actually, in real life, that didn't quite happen the same way. Freddie knew the other singer from Smile, from art college, and he actually lived for a little bit with Brian and Roger while he was the lead singer of this other band called Ibex. So it wasn't this, oh, weird guy just walking up to a band that just lost their singer. It didn't happen that way. It makes for good Hollywood, though. What other parts do you like? Well, it was so dramatic. Remember when the Live Aid show was coming? They had just broken up. They hadn't played together for a long time. They were all rusty. They wanted to go play. And then Freddie tells them that they have, he has AIDS and he's dying. And then they go out there and play and they have this great show. It was just, oh, what a moment. Well, I hate to disappoint you again. But Queen didn't just get back together for the show. They were had some issues with the solo career, and that was true, but they didn't break up like they show in the movie. And they didn't take years and years off or whatever. They were off for just a couple of months. They just did stadium shows with the Works album while Freddie was doing his album too. But they were still touring, and they were still doing these massive stadiums, so they were used to doing the stadium setup. So it wasn't this big change for them, really. Plus, the band didn't know he had AIDS at that point. They only found out probably about two years later, according to the manager of Queen. So there you are. Wow, there's all this stuff that I didn't know. Um, where can I learn more? Who can I talk to? That's easy. It's time to talk to your hosts, Rob Heitman, Ben David, and bassist extraordinaire, Alan Campbell. Hey, welcome to the Dirty Dozen Podcast, where we'll rank the Dirty Dozen or Top 12 Queen songs while discussing their music and pounding back a few brews. I'm Rob. And I'm Alan. And I'm Ben. Ben, welcome back. You've been here once before, and that was on Silver Chair, right? Yep. Cool. Glad to be back. Thank you. And Alan's an old hat. Great yes. to be here, Rob. <laughs> I'd like to thank everybody who's been active on Facebook. While we can't give a shout out to everyone, I'd like to call out just a few this week. Thanks to Michael Smith, Charlotte Shepard, Jill Slusher, and Heather Kim. Thanks for hanging out on Facebook. So let's just jump right in. How did you first hear of Queen? Ben, why don't you start? I don't really know exactly when I first heard them. I have two older brothers. One is 10 years older, the other one is six years older, and they just always had music around, and this would have been one of the bands that they listened to. So I don't know exactly. I know the song that I heard a lot, which was Bohemian Rhapsody, but I don't know the when I first got introduced to them. They were just kind of always around. Okay. Alan? I can't point to a specific song or time either, but I just remember I was hearing songs on the radio that were musical and melodic and catchy, but heavy at the same time with this nice thick guitar tone running through it all that didn't sound like any other guitar player. Nobody else sounded like that. Queen had a unique sound and they stood out. They always do. You hear a song, you know it's Queen almost yeah, immediately. exactly. When I was about 10 or so, after the album had been out for a while, I picked up my first Queen album, which was The Game. 
mm-hmm. because I had heard their big Another One Bites the Dust on the radio, and I'm like, oh, I got to pick that album up. So I did. I don't even know if I heard Bohemian Rhapsody at that point. I remember Wayne's World. Oh, yeah. That was my introduction to Bohemian Rhapsody, I think. And that introduced a whole new generation to that song, too. And it was great. It's just like, you see them in there, and they're singing operatic parts. Head banging. And the then they car. start doing, dun, 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 dun. It's awesome. That was great. Okay, without discussing a specific song, what's the one thing you learned about Queen in the preparation for this podcast? That Queen was an excellent live band. Not only were they brilliant in the recording studio, but they were excellent live. They had a genuine relationship with their audience. I watched a lot of live concert footage, and it convinced me that they were one of the top live bands in the world in their day, and that Freddie Mercury was one of the best showmen in rock. All four of these guys are world-class musicians and performers. They all write, they all sing, they have great chemistry together. And after getting that over that initial hump over the first couple albums, they developed into a force to be reckoned with. Yeah, they're great straight through. Ben? A couple things. One, that throughout the decades that they played, they were still able to keep their style throughout the entire time. And they had different instruments and so forth, but they always had the same style. Also, just how musical genius they they really are. I always had a feeling Freddie was, but listening to Brian May, John Deacon, and Roger Taylor, and just throughout all the albums, how they did, I thought was amazing. Yeah, for me, I, I mean, it's real simple. I think all the details that I talked about in the intro, kind of the stuff that wasn't true about the movie. I also never realized, this is just a little sidebar, that Brian May made his own guitar from scratch. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the red, like, red special. Yeah. Yep. And he has it in different colors later on. Him and his dad. Which actually almost got destroyed one time. He was driving, I think it was driving home or something like that, and he got in an accident. The car, I think, was totaled. The guitar only got a couple scratches, but Peter Hens, who is the main roadie for Queen, actually put together another kit that would make sure that nothing happened to that guitar. Wow, that's cool. And you can actually buy manufactured replicas of that guitar now. Oh, oh really? yeah, yeah, yeah. he sells it. Yeah, I've yeah. seen that at, uh, I think it's sort of Guitar Center. I don't know if Sweetwater sells it, but. I wouldn't doubt it. They pretty much sell everything. They should, at least. <laughs> All right. We're drinking some chicken cock. <laughs> 90 proof Kentucky straight bourbon whiskey. This was established in 1856, and it was pretty much a staple of the prohibition speakeasies. Cotton Club, places like that, sold this stuff. I'm just taking a look at it. It's kind of a, a light tan hue. I smell like pears. Maybe some caramel and obviously vanilla because it's a bourbon. Definitely on the taste, I get butterscotch. I don't know about you guys. Wow, that's impressive. No, I, I didn't get that. Okay. okay. Definitely get the uh, the spices and everything they have inside there. Yeah, it's, it's definitely a spicy bourbon. Yep. And it's a little, uh, little smoky too, but I'm going to stay away from the name. <laughs> I don't know why. It's, there's nothing wrong with chicken cock. well maybe way back when it meant something different than it does now yeah i think it depends on where you are in the country so Uh, okay anyway before we begin we'll be critically reviewing the songs we'll share under 20 seconds of each tune unless there is a specific issue or criticism that we may need to highlight and then we may do a second clip we have made apple music spotify and amazon hd playlists just search official dirty dozen on either service to listen to each of our lists in their entirety this way all the money for playing tunes will always head back to queen and the people associated with the freddie mercury estate we have also created a current episode dirty dozen podcast playlist which will automatically update with each podcast of the current podcast so subscribe once and always be updated 
Here's how this works. We've ranked our top 12 Queen songs, each of us, that has been combined into one list, our official Dirty Dozen. Using these official rankings, we'll count down the songs from 12 to 1, nice and simple. Before we get going with the list, we'll each discuss one song that wouldn't be in our top 12, but we still like to talk about. We call this our Song of Notes. So, Alan, what is your Song of Note, my friend? My Song of Note is Another One Bites the Dust from the Game album. It's written by John Deacon. It's probably the most recognizable bass intro ever. Queen's best-selling single, 7 million copies sold. But people were screaming... Queen has gone disco. Boo! Well, they have. I mean, they were right because it was a hit on the disco charts, too. Well, Deacon kind of hung out with the people from Chic in the studio. Yeah, and he was he had a funky streak to him, too. Yeah, and they kind of stole a lot of the, the vibe from Good Times by Chic. Yeah. It's a great bass hook. The vocal by Freddie is great. But with me, the reason it's my song of note is because this song is so unlike Queen. There are no heavy guitars. There is not one layered guitar harmony line, not one harmony vocal. You know you're in a successful band when you release a song that doesn't sound like you, but people still buy it. Yeah, no, 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 no. It's not my favorite Queen song by a long shot, but you can't argue with success. My favorite reason I like this song, besides when I was a kid, and it was my favorite song, that's why I bought the game album, which we talked about. But the thing that I liked about it, right, is they have one of the things I love in these podcasts. They have backmasking. Oh, yeah. And I have the backmasking here. What I'm going to do is I'm just going to play this section first in the song. This won't count towards your actually playing of Another Bites to Dust. But I want to show the backmasking. It's only going to be like 10 seconds and I'll play it backwards so you can hear it. Okay? Let's take a listen. Okay, now let's play it backwards for a second. You guys hear that? Yeah, it sounded like a few F-bombs in there. Now I heard it. It's, it's fun to smoke marijuana. It's fun to smoke marijuana. Decide to smoke marijuana. That's what it says. If you want to listen to it again, maybe you can hear yeah, it. Yeah, do it again. Okay, hold on. I didn't get not. I Anyway, that's uh, that's that. <laughs> it's kind of yeah. interesting, but if that's if, what it sounds like, yeah, yep. I heard it that time. <laughs> it's just weird. I, I, it's probably just a happy coincidence, unless somebody really took the time to do that. Does this mean you're going to pass one around? <laughs> no, I have no idea. No, I don't do that. That's fine. <laughs> all right. Oh, uh, all right. So. Ben, you have anything on uh, another one by Sadust? You don't have to. This is this is his song, so. Yeah, this one uh, did not make my list. Obviously, the, the, it's a song yeah, of note. obviously, right? Because it's a song of note. Um, the reason why for this one is I got tainted by Weird Al, and that was the first version I ever heard. Was uh, another one rides the bus? Yeah, that's great. And which is yeah, it's funny, it's great, but that kind of ruined this one for me because <laughs> I always think of Weird Al instead of uh, Queen. Okay, let's play Alan's song note, not the one by the dust. Let's take a listen. Okay, that's Alan's song note. 
the one bites the dust. I know it's Hollywood, but in uh, Bohemian Rhapsody, I always like the part where this song is because they're there. You know, you had them kind of fighting, and then you had John Deacon off to the side, and then he just starts playing it, and they just like, wait, what's that? Yeah, yep. he's got those little yeah, yeah, yeah. bass vibes. Right. That he has that little bass hooks. He comes up with some good riffs. Yeah, he does. So, Ben, what's your song of note? So, my song of note is Death on Two Legs. I thought this was interesting, the story behind it, where it was about the uh, their older manager that they had a falling out with, Norman Sheffield. Mm-hmm. Anyways, with the song, I, I like what they put together. The piano and the guitar builds up in the beginning, and then it just goes straight down to piano. And then you got Brian May with his little riffs here and there throughout the song. Yeah, um, I love those short stabs that he comes yeah, in with. It's yeah, also he awesome. does a great yeah, job. Yeah. So that's why this was my song of note. And it's an angry Queen song. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, yeah, I don't know if you get more angry than that. Roger Taylor said uh, when he was talking about this, and one of the documentaries that was mm-hmm. on there, and actually multiple ones, they have almost the same quote. He goes, you see them running around and stretch limos, and we can't break drumsticks because we don't have enough money they were starting to get pretty big at this point and they've had a couple hits and they're like something's going wrong here and yeah they were getting screwed that's why this angry uh, song exists so let's take a listen to ben's song of no death on two legs let's take a listen my blood like a leech you break the law and you breach my brain till it hurts Especially the suicide line. I think that's, it's pretty harsh. I mean, that's why he was, he sued them for defamation. Yeah, I was going to say that. Yep. Yep. Brian May and his guitar, just his little riffs that he does are just awesome. Oh, no doubt. All right. My song of note, dun, 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 is off of the 1978 release of Jazz, one of my favorite Queen albums, actually. And one song that kind of encapsulates a lot of it is a song called More of That Jazz. Obviously, they do some looping in it. The main guitar riff is pretty cool, and they have a heavier one that'll come in a little bit later. It's a, a little bit darker tone than the rest of the album. That's because Roger is singing. I was surprised he has such a good voice. I know he had his own solo albums, but he had some high range notes in there. I was like, oh, look at that. Yeah, he's the high harmony singer in mm-hmm. Queen. Yeah, it's crazy. And I love the callback clips. There's uh, Dead on Time, Bicycle Race, Mustafa, If I Can't Beat Them, Fun It, and Fat Bottom Girls. They do a little clips to it. Yeah. I actually like how they come out of Fat Bottom Girls. So I'll probably play a little bit of the main song, and I'm going to give you a little piece of just the end of the song where they do some outro clips and how they put that together yep. in the frame of the song, which is why I like the song, I think. For me, I'm going to take a page out of uh, Jake with this one, and uh, my notes say, meh. Roger Taylor, a lot of his songs that he's singing, they all kind of sound the same to me. Like the guitar in the beginning, again, it's just another Roger Taylor song. One thing I did think was interesting is I did read that he actually played most of the instruments during the song. That's true. So that was kind of cool. But overall, yeah, the song's just meh. I I like the little medley of other songs that they threw in there. I thought that's kind of interesting. I generally like the songs Roger Taylor writes, but with this band, it's got to be a really good song to make the top 12. And personally, I think I'm in love with my car is a better song than this one. Well, this is not my top 12. (laughs) This is my Uh, song. Good point. point. (laughs) This is a song I like that I wouldn't be in my top 12. So anyway, let's take a listen to my song of note, more of that jazz. Oh, 
and I'm just going to play the end clip now real quick. Here we go. Okay, yeah, that was, I like that ending part. <laughs> Yeah, that is a cool part. And I, I, I'm, I'm a sucker for like the heavy guitar riff. I don't care who's playing it or Me what they're too. doing. It's, it just pulls that song together, I think. All right. Oh, my gosh. We're here. We are making the jump. We are moving right along into the official Dirty Dozen. We're going to start with number 12. This is a song that Alan had on his list, Ben had on his list, and I had on my list. But Alan had the highest. And Ben nailed it, because it's number 12 on your list. This is off of Sheer Heart Attack. Stone Cold Crazy is our number 12. Alan, you actually have the highest of anybody. The pace is frenetic. The lyrics are hilarious. The band is tight. There's tons of echo on Freddie's voice. And the song makes you feel like what the title says. I love the heavy guitars. It's a killer riff. And if you listen closely to the guitars in the bridge, they are stone cold crazy. It's amazing. When you have a song that's covered by Metallica <laughs> and, yep. and done well, and they don't change anything, they just play it a little heavier. They change some words. They change words, yeah, yeah, lyrics. But I'm saying the, the way they attack the song is not different. It's not like they're playing a metal version of a song that isn't that way already. Like the chugga chugga of the guitar yeah. and the aggressive solo and... Uh, it's just so much fun. I could actually hear Van Halen doing this song. I think it would be right in their wheelhouse. I don't know if and, the solo, I don't think Eddie would play that solo. I think Eddie well, would play Well, he would play something. an Eddie solo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Roger Taylor did a great job on the drums. He was just kicking butt. That was another thing I noticed going through these songs is how solid and consistent he is. He's a great drummer. No doubt. Ben? To me, it has a, you know, the punk sound to it that really comes out with uh, Roger playing the drums with it. I like how Freddie does the quick singing. Definitely has that punk feel to me. But yeah, Roger like what you're talking about there, Alan, with him playing in the song. Really good job. Yeah, it's interesting that the whole band is credited for the song. But Freddie, when he was in his band Wreckage, which really didn't play that often, that was a really short band he was in before he joined Queen at the end. They actually played the song in his band. Really? I didn't know yeah, that. So. Wow. And they all had inputs on the song, so I'm sure it changed a little bit. But interesting, though. Yeah. All right. Let's listen to our number 12 Stone Cold Crazy off of Sheer Heart Attack in 1974. Let's listen. Yeah, it's number 12 Stone Cold Crazy. Has nothing to do with Stone Cold Steve Austin. At least I don't think it does. All right, let's move on to number 11. This song, one of us did not have on list. Could it be Ben? No, you had it as number nine on your list. Could it be Alan? It's Alan. <laughs> it's number seven on my list. So I will take the on-ramp to this one. And it's called The Show Must Go On off of Innuendo in 91. This song, I'm a James Bond nut, just to say, and this song always reminded me of a James Bond theme. If this could have been for a movie in the beginning, the way it's set up, it has that tact of a James Bond theme song. It just, anyway, 
The synth and bass really stand out early. I love the importance of this song as Freddie's sort of swan song in my mind from that album. It's a vocal showcase. The instrumental shifts, pull it along, and the solo is just killer. Brian May, uh, he wrote this one. Lyrics to kind of press on and make the most out of life and enjoy it while you can. The video for this, they had like old clips they just kind of pieced together because... Obviously, Freddie wasn't doing so well in innuendo. His singing voice actually sounds a little different on some of the songs on this album, too. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that's because of his health or what. It's funny. They did a uh, poll. Once again, it's really weird, just generally, from an American-centric viewpoint. Queen was much bigger globally than in America. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. It kind of fell off hot spaces, maybe, over here. But they got bigger out there. They were just... They got huge. And they lost America, I guess. Yeah, everybody in the documentaries that I saw pointed to the video they made where they were all in drag as offending us Americans. Well, MTV pulled that one off. But anyway, let's not talk about that one. In a poll, this is what I was going to say, that by Music Choice, which is a European MTV-like thing, I guess, they asked what song they would like to play at their funeral, and over 45,000 votes came up for this song, and that was their favorite overall. So. Hmm. Yeah, that makes sense for what this is. This one I thought was a really good one. You know, as you mentioned, Brian May actually wrote it, but he wrote it thinking of Freddie for this and and the whole meaning that the show must go on, knowing that he had the AIDS and all that type of stuff. So this being the last album that Freddie actually did showed how they were. It's a slower song, but you still got the guitar, bass, drums, all that stuff is great. It still had a little bit of the opera feel to it with rock and roll as well. And just kind of kept that throughout all the time. And I thought it was a great song. This is a great song. It deserves to be on the list. Lots of power, great vocals as usual. And the production reminds me of the old Phil Spector echoey wall of sound approach to music production. It's not on my list simply because with a band like Queen, there are so many good songs. Their catalog is so extensive that other songs just bumped it off. Totally get it. All right, let's listen to The Show Must Go On off of Innuendo. This is our number 11. Hey, that's number 11. The show must go on. Such a solid Great. rhythm section. Bass and drums in Queen are just such a solid foundation for all their music. Oh, no doubt. Yeah, and to me, it's just like one of their anthem songs right there. Yeah, and John, I think, is one of the most underrated members of Queen. Definitely. Yes. Yeah, so. So, anyway, let's jump on to number 10, which one person did not have. Shall we do this again? And guess Here what? Here we go. It's the same person. Uh-oh. <laughs> this is number eight on both of our lists. I'll let you take the lead. I was last time. It's off of the Queen album, debut album. It's Keep Yourself Alive. So, Ben, why don't you take us start us off? Yeah, for me, this, you know, the opening song on their first album that they put out, and this is what they had. It's interesting a little bit of the story behind it, because they actually recorded in Delane Lee. Which is, uh, Delane Lee is a studio in London where they recorded the demo, just for clarity. Continue, sorry for the interruption. Go ahead. The uh, recording of that, Brian May actually liked a lot better, and him and the band actually got in a little feud with producers, and they got it close to how they recorded it then, but still was never the same. But to me, I think it's still just a great song. Opens up with the guitar, it builds with the drums. You got the drum solo about 
two minutes and 20 seconds in there. Has a little bit of a big band sound to it. You got different phasings of guitars. The bass does a great job. And it's just, to me, a great way to say, here's Queen. Great yeah, song. what you were talking about before, about them kind of losing the magic. It's kind of funny how that happens. When you have this creative moment and this moment in time that comes together perfectly. And then you try to go into a studio and re-record it in a more sanitary environment or with layering and with everything else, you kind of lose that magic that the spontaneity of yeah, the original live. Yep. But I still love the version of it. I love every version I've heard of the song. Yeah. Sometimes like Brian maybe has the perfect song in his head that he thinks he recorded initially. But the reality of it is since that tape is lost forever, it's always better in his mind than it probably was in reality. But my take on the song like you mentioned, the tape phasing on guitar tone is really cool. I love the vocal delivery and the pace of the verse. I love that bluesy lick that comes in from the right speaker when you listen mm. to this in stereo. It's so good. This is who Queen was. This is when they first put their steps forward. This is the song that hit. Song one on album one. Yeah. This was my number 13. Okay. I love the opening guitar hook. It's great guitar work by Brian May. Use these varying, various different guitar tones and rhythms and stuff. But what I notice about this is that I listened to the first two Queen albums back to back, you know, front to back, and there are a lot of different influences from different bands on there. You can hear that they're still finding their way. But this first song on the first album, I think, defines the direction they're going to be going in for the rest of their career more than any other song on those first two albums. You've got the harmony lines on guitar. You've got the beginnings of the layered vocals that they're going to be using extensively. And it's a great song. It deserves to be on the list. Okay. Let's listen to number 10, Keep Yourself Alive, off of the Queen debut album. Anyway, but I never saw my face in any window any day. Okay, that's number 10. Keep yourself alive. A lot of flange effect on those guitars. Oh, yeah. It's really great. common in those days. Actually, it was tape phasing used in the, in the studio. They didn't have the They, they, they didn't have pedal. the pedals, yeah. but they did it manually. Yeah, they did it manually, yeah. And, and Queen, when they went into the studio, uh, I guess not so much in their first the first time they were in the studio, but later on, they're just so cutting edge and avant-garde yep. and trying mm -hmm. weird stuff. I always love it. I think they were happier almost in the studio than they were on stage. Although I think they were happiest on like the big stage as opposed to some of the smaller stages. Yep, yeah, for sure. Anyway, let's jump on to number nine. This is... Ben is sitting out this one because for some reason he didn't have the song on here. This is off the jazz album. Both Alan and I had it on his list. Alan had it higher. The song is Fat Bottomed Girls. So, Alan, would you like to take the lead on this, my friend? Uh, the song starts off with a great acapella chorus. I like the vocal melodies in this song. I think they're really tasteful. The lyrics are hilarious and naughty. John Deacon is getting his licks in, especially towards the end. There's a great thumping groove in this song. Roger Taylor seems like he's going for an old school vibe on drums. He's got a very snary sounding snare, a super thumping kick drum with a pounding beat. And then before the last chorus, he goes into an around the world move on all the toms. And the toms sound clear and modern. So go figure. Yep, yep, yep. The guy is an awesome drummer. 
But what does it for me in this song is Brian May's crunchy, overdriven guitar tone. It's just nasty. And probably as nasty as the story the lyrics tell. And maybe that was intentional. It's funny, this was one of those songs that was kind of put together, much like uh, We'll Rock You and We Are the Champions. They came out together with the bicycle song. Bicycle uh, Race. Yeah. yeah, thank you. With Bicycle Race. And they have this line that I misheard for a long time. It says, get on your bikes and ride, right? Yep. That's not what I thought it said. I, I had the same. I've always heard it as get on your backs and ride. That's where. Oh, really? Because fat bottom girls, you know, obviously uh. they're talking about how bigger the cushion, better the push and that sort of stuff. <laughs> That's what I took it as. And I apologize to myself. All right. <laughs> One of the things that I also like about the song, and this has nothing to do with Queen. Kind of. This song inspired another great song. That's Big Bottom by Spinal Tab. <laughs> it, had to, it had to be the inspiration for that song in the Spinal Tab. What about that Sir Mix-a-Lot song, Baby Got Back? Maybe. No, I don't. Oh, there you go. Some, somehow, I don't think he, he was in the Fat Bottom Girls, uh, although it would work, right? But I don't think he got actual inspiration from it. I'm pretty sure the folks in Spinal Tap said, when they were creating it, it's like, oh, that's a song we got to go. Yeah, and, yeah. and they did the, the five basses. There's a video on YouTube of every musician who's anybody on the same stage playing that song together with 14 bass guitars. It's hilarious. That's funny. As you said, harmonies and all that other stuff, you pretty much hit everything that I wanted to say. So it's great, straight ahead, rock and roll. Fat Bottom Girls, anything? Yeah, it is. It's one of those songs that you could just drive around cruising and just play this song for sure. The bass and drums throughout the song I thought was great. Brian wrote this knowing that Freddie was going to sing it, so I thought that was kind of interesting. When I did research, one of the things I found out about this, and it's not necessarily something I was really searching for, but he was really, in the movie, like Bohemian Rhapsody, it makes it sound like Mary was the only girl that he ever was with, and he's with all these other guys. But that's not the case. That's he, right. Yeah. Yeah. Nope. He was, he was, didn't care. <laughs> he was, she was, uh, his muse, if you will. Yeah. But I'm saying he was with other women besides her. He just was with whatever yeah. was in front of him. I yeah, think she was just the girl <laughs> that he always came home to. Yeah. Yep. Oh no. The relationship there was great. And I thought a movie highlighted that. There was some time before he, you know, started venturing into the bisexual phase. Yeah. I heard it was really almost from the beginning. He just, in the movie, it makes it sound like it was just moving, but it, I think it, that was happening for a while. They made it sound like that one time at the truck stop in the yeah, movie, right. but it, he was already that way. He well, was look just at some of the costumes it. he wore on stage, too. He named the band Queen, yeah, so right. inherently, yeah. th there's something there. Anyway, <laughs> let's listen to Alan's number seven, but the number nine overall, which I nailed, by the way, Fat Bottom Girls, off of Jazz. Let's listen. Okay, that's number nine. Fat bottom girls off your chats. Good stuff. John Deacon just does a great job. Yes. Yeah, no doubt. Absolutely. He really does. Yeah, no doubt. It's good stuff. Good stuff. Let's move on to number eight. Moving to the song that I didn't have on my list, so we don't even have to. We, can we skip this? I just agree that we can skip this song. No. Okay. Nope. <laughs> it's number eight. Ben had this barely on his list. 
And Alan had this near the top of his list. It's off of A Day at the Races. And the name of the song of our number eight song overall is Somebody to Love. So obviously Alan is going to take the lead on this one because it's his baby. Alan. Freddie was a fan of Aretha Franklin, and that was a big influence on this song. Roger Taylor says, we tried to keep the track in a loose gospel type feel. I think it's the loosest track we've ever done. In my opinion, this song is a vocal masterpiece, second only to a song we haven't talked about yet. The more you listen to it, the more parts you hear. Queen's talent at arranging vocal harmonies was off the charts good, as was their ability to pull it off in the studio. Great songwriting and arranging. The song is so well put together. Nice guitar solo, great bass work by John Deacon. The rhythm section is solid, but it's the vocals that stand out. The vocals are king in this song. It's very Broadway. When I heard this the first time, I'm like, yeah. The harmonies sound good, but for me in this one, it was just a little too much. But Ben, it's on your list too. So yeah. You almost took all the words out of my mouth there, <laughs> Alan. <laughs> so the piano and bass do great. You got the harmony vocals in there, which I think is good. Or at least what I think is muted guitar about a third of the way through and then goes into the solo. Love that part. It, to me, it has a, you know the gospel style to it. Uh, but it yeah, still has this rock and about. roll with the solo and, and so forth. And then two thirds of the way through, you just got the singing and it builds up to just Freddie with no instruments. So they do a great job with yeah. this. It's not an excuse for any band, but Queen has a lot of good songs. So there's going to be stuff that everybody misses. So somebody to love the number eight overall off of a day at the races. Let's take a listen. Oh my Okay, that was number eight. Somebody to love. Off a date the races. Good tune. Turn. That it is. Okay. We're going to move to number seven and we're going to hit something here that doesn't happen very often. This song was my number 13. I didn't have it on my list. You didn't have it on your list. But Alan had it very high on his list. This is off of a day at the races. This is Alan's number one song. <laughs> Tie your mother down. So obviously, it's Alan's best song of all time. That's your number one? I know. Absolutely. I, I, I thought it's it's a good song, but I didn't see it at number one. But Alan's going to explain it. So Alan, go ahead. I love everything about this song. It's the best guitar intro ever that doesn't sound anything like the rest of the song. It starts off with a gong. Come on, that's awesome. Well, that's true. There you go. I, I love the guitar work. Brian May is on it all through the song. And he does a very nice slide solo, which you don't really expect from him. The arrangement is great. Tons of power in the song. Kick-ass drum beat. The accents, the stops are dynamic and forceful. I love the two bars of half-note triplets going into the outro. Roger Taylor's timing is spot on. Freddie's half-singing, half-rapping vocal is brilliant. It's like he's bringing the audience into the story with him. I'm just a peace-loving guy, you know. The lyrics are hilarious. And I love RT's drumming on this song. This song, more than any other, I think, gives him a chance to stretch out, show off his chops, and he doesn't disappoint. He's a powerhouse drummer. Is this a better song than another song we'll talk about later? Probably not, but it's my favorite Queen song, and this is my list, and this is my number one. Yeah, it reminds me, it's more of a, a Zeppelin tune in my head. 
not a Zeppelin, obviously it's a Queen song, but it's a Zeppelin tone. You know what I mean? It's a, that attack that it's not normal for them. Uh, interesting things when I did research on this. But you can't find any part of this song that's not just, oh. just, just so, just it's, right. It, it's really, as I said, it was just barely off my list. It was as close yeah. as you can get to on my list. But the, really interesting, I did some research on this. And Freddie Mercury, in, in the book Freddie Mercury, The Untold Story, the men friends he had used to give each other nicknames. And Freddie's nickname was, dun, 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 Mother. Mother. So I don't know if that has any more meaning from why this was written by, by Brian May. Yep. Yes, it was. Maybe just putting a needle on Freddie and trying to keep him down. I, I, I wondered about that because I heard that as well. This is a great song by them. You know, we were ripping you on being number one, but this could arguably have no doubt this is in their top 12. You can argue that. And as I said, just that side of mine, really good song. And it was in a set list of every queen show almost ever yeah so that should tell you something this well, is well the song that's competing with it is my number two well and, and i would just say that i like this song better because of the heavy rock i'm a heavy rock guy i just i'm a sucker for heavy guitars no, no doubt all right let's listen to number seven tie your mother down off of a day at the races let's listen Okay, that's number seven, Tie Your Mother Down for Day of the Races. Yeah, definitely see why you like it. Love the little uh, blues sound that he does and the solo he does in there. Brian May does a good job during that. Yeah. yeah. Now, uh, Ben, it's kind of funny how you were ripping on Alan for picking a song that was my number 13 as his number one, but you picked a song at your number one, which... This came in at six? This is your number six overall off of Hot Space, Under Pressure with David Bowie. David Bowie song with uh, some singing by Freddie. The number one song ever by Queen. <laughs> no, I, I, I'm sorry. Just, go ahead. You're, nobody obviously had this on the list but you. So go rock it out at number six. Yeah, to me, this is just their uh, their best song. I know it's with David Bowie, but I like the story behind it. I like how they play together. You're a Vanilla Ice fan. That's why, no. right? No, 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 no. Ah, nice. How did you know? Secretly. That's what I listened to. Pulling up with my 5.0. That's right. Oh, my goodness. The story behind it of Queen and David Bowie being in the same studio, and I, I don't remember if it was the producer or what that, that knew both of them, and they got together and they were just playing songs. I they think were they were hanging out, and they just they just wandered back to the studio, and next thing you know, they started getting I thought it was around. somebody who connected them, but e either way. It could way, have been, yeah, yeah, initially, yeah. Either way, they were just playing around with different cover songs, and then David's like, all right, how about we make our own? And they were playing around and, you know, you have one of the famous bass lines ever. You hear that and you know exactly what song it is. But what was interesting is... It's one of two they, songs. Okay. But you, either way, you still know what it is. Yeah, I don't know. I'm kidding. Um, but they went out to dinner, had a bunch of wine, and John Deacon actually forgot 
the the baseline for it, which right. was interesting. And then I heard different stories of who said, hey, no, this is what the baseline was. I've heard where it was Roger Taylor, Brian May, David Bowie. I don't know who actually reminded Yeah, I read it was Brian May that remembered it for him. Okay. I've heard one that Roger Taylor says that yeah, he was doing yeah, exactly. it. So it's whatever. Yeah, I get it. But either way, got the baseline back. I like the scatting sound that Freddie does throughout. You know, another part with this, you don't hear much of the guitar and drums. And so doing research into that part, Brian May and Roger Taylor actually didn't have much hope for this song, oddly enough. So they weren't even at the final mixing, final recording for it. Well, I heard it was more because uh, May, Freddie, and David Bowie were butting heads so much that May said, I usually don't back down, but I back down at this point. And, and let them two figure it out because they're the two superstars. Let them figure it out exactly. on this song. That's why he didn't show up. Right. It's not that he didn't care about it or didn't think it was going to go anywhere. He just was not going to get involved with that. Oh, well, I, I thought I read that it, they actually didn't think it would be that big of a hit as well. But e- either way, so. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, this, this one ended up at number 15 for me. Very close, but no cigar. Another simple John Deacon riff that was developed into a great song. And I like the way the verses start out with that riff, but then go into a descending chord progression that is really musical and melodic and tasty. The song deserves to be on the list, I think. But personally, I prefer how they do it live. I do recognize what an immense talent David Bowie was, but I've never been a big fan. To my ears, it sounds better when Freddie belts it out by himself on stage with the band than it does singing with Bowie in the studio. Yeah, Brian May, when he was talking about in the studio, I have a couple of quotes by him. It was sort of wonderful and terrible. He doesn't sound like this, but this one would make, make him sound like because he's, he's, he's British. <laughs> it was sort of wonderful and terrible, but in my mind, I remember the wonderful now more than the terrible. Suddenly you have this other person inputting and inputting and inputting. He, David, had a vision in his head, and it's quite a difficult process. And somebody had to back off, which eventually I did, which is so unusual for me. This is their second number one hit in the UK. Right. Free tune, catchy tune. And I'm not upset that's made this because it's a, it's a good song, but I do hear Ice Ice Baby. That's probably where I heard the song first. Uh, as sad as that is. So it was like, uh, I'm like, oh my one, God, that's the one Ice Ice Baby song. Yeah, yeah. What, the first time I heard the real one. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's another song. Which that, is just sad. It's another Queen song that doesn't really sound like Queen. I know. I went back and forth and it, every it single time like I Bowie. thought about it, it was <laughs> always, it just always came as number one. I know it sounds a little different, but I think it's a great song. Okay. Let's listen to the number six overall song, Under Pressure, off of Hot Space. Let's listen. What this world is about Watching some good friends Let me out Tomorrow Get you higher Wish you want People on streets Okay, that's our number six Under Pressure Off of Hot Space That's the last song that only one person has So the next song is high on my list and it's on Alan's list and it's not on your list and this is off of the works in 1984 this is one of my favorite it was my number two overall but it's the number five overall here is hammer to fall big guitars on the intro it grabs you right away rhythm section is fantastic i love the harmonies the keys underneath are sort of the hidden assassins if you listen through the track on a good set of cans you can hear it freddie just amazing of course 
melodic solo, just great. Written by Brian May, who tended to write the harder rocking songs, which is why it probably yeah. appeared on my list more than most. Uh, that's kind of where I'm drawn to, always have been. I'm a big fan of Stranger Things, which is on uh, Netflix, which is Stranger Things 2. This was on there. And this is one of the most popular live tracks. They did it yeah. in Wembley or Live Aid, everywhere. Fantastic tune. Just rocking. Love that sort of Queen vibe. So, yeah. Alan? This song seems to get stuck in my head more than any other song on my list. After I listen to it, it just stays there. It's a great chord riff by Brian May on guitar. Grabs you right from the intro. Very catchy. I like the riffs and ideas that he comes up with. That's one of the things I've noticed going through these songs. Brian May is consistently coming up with catchy, interesting parts on guitar. I like the vocal melody in the choruses. It's a nice bridge. And at the end of the guitar solo that closes out the bridge, there are some background vocals, some oohs that sound really nice. All around a good rock song with a lot of energy and a great beat. It makes you want to get up and dance and play air guitar. Yeah, I thought this had a little more political bent than it probably did. Yeah, it refers to the Cold War and the threat of a nuclear... Right, but but listen, talking to Brian May, he says it's not really about that. He's just more, everybody's going to die, and we're all just waiting for that hammer to fall on us and our lives. There's a quote by Brian that I put in here. It says, the Grim Reaper doing his job. That's what this song's about. Perfect. It is a good song. Definitely like hearing it. It was good to hear in Live Aid too when they put it inside there. To me, it's a 80s rock song. Brian does a great, I mean, he always does a good job with the solos. I like that in there, but to me, it's good 80s song. A lot of people don't realize that last year during when we did the 80s section, I had votes for what bands we were going to cover next year. And every band we're playing this year or covering this year is a band that was voted for. So Queen was up against U2 in the stadium bands. And there was a couple other big stadium bands there. And I was like, well, U2 is just going to win that. So I can just start getting U2 in my head. And Queen kicked its butt. Yeah. It was so out of the blue. Queen is amazing. As far as a live band, people who knew how to rock a stadium, Queen knew how to pull that off. Oh, yeah. It was absolutely throughout the in decades of this. They're still going. And what I think is interesting with going off of that is Live Aid, right? Shows you how popular they were. So you had the 75,000-ish people there at the stadium. And they said it was 1.9 billion people watching. And it wasn't really doing anything. Live Aid wasn't until Queen got there. Well, Queen took an attack on the Live Aid that they were going to treat this like it was the most important concert in their life. Right. We're talking about Hammer to Fall, which is off of the works. And this is the album they were touring a month or two before Live Aid. And they were doing yep. all these major stadiums and they were mm-hmm. learning how to manage the A-O, you know, all that stuff yeah. that, that Freddie did to kind of pull an audience in, even if yep. it's 100,000 people. So when they hit that stage, it wasn't so overwhelming for them as a stadium to play Wembley. Right. But the amount of people they could reach via TV and reach everywhere yeah. was a much larger audience than anybody could ever touch. Freddie's ability to work an audience, to captivate an audience, is so impressive. And the bigger the venue, the better he seems to be at it. Oh, yeah. Even before the opening song of a show, he walks out on stage. He's got the audience in the palm of his hand. Yep. And Hammer to Fall is one of their big staples. Worked a great song live, yeah. Let's take a listen to the number five overall, Hammer to Fall. Okay, it was number five, Hammer to Fall. 
and we're jumping right in. We're down to our top four. Top four is coming up. And I tell you what, I'm enjoying a little chicken cock right now. <laughs> That's right. Oh, my. Life is good with some chicken cock. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I'll go that far. Uh, some, some bourbon. How about some chicken cock bourbon in your mouth? How's bourbon. There you that? go. I'll, I'll, I'll be, I have to be clear. I'm oh, sorry. I didn't I'm that. pretending it's a single malt scotch. <laughs> I'm trying to, you know, hypnotize myself or something. <laughs> okay, um, we're moving to number four. Now, this song, I am going to take heat on. You took heat. You took heat. I'm taking heat. This one just fell out of my list. And this you is off wrongly. of News of the World. We Are the Champions is the number four song. This is Alan's number three and Ben's number five. Alan, since it's your number three, it's the number four overall. Though. This song is a huge crowd pleaser. It's a great example of how Queen includes the audience in their show. It's one of the best sing-along power choruses in rock. The melody of the vocal in the chorus, with guitar joining in on top and bass and drums supplying the power underneath, I think is one of the classic choruses in rock and roll and one of Freddie's best vocal melodies. I really like the bass work. This is a well-crafted song that fires on all cylinders. And if you say you've never played air guitar to this song, you're lying. Freddie Mercury said of this song, it's the most arrogant, egotistical song I've ever written. Okay, but when you're trying to scratch your way to the top of the hill in rock music, arrogance can work. Having that confidence, believing in yourself, believing that you're better than the next singer, the next player, that your band is better than the next band. No doubt that attitude contributed to Queen's success. Okay. Ben? One of the things I read was Freddie was actually watching a football game, and I don't know if that's American football no, or that's, soccer. That's, I'm that's, saying that's, football. So, it's what we would call soccer. Right. <laughs> and so he wrote the song as the, he wanted participation from the crowd. Love the piano and bass. Great uh, opening to drums and then guitar. The build up until We Are the Champions. It's going to get you pumped up. Yeah. You're going to play air guitar. You're going to dance around. You're just going to get all pumped up when you hear this song for sure. One of the most popular songs ever by Queen, the number four song overall. We are the champions off of News of the World. Let's take a listen. That was our number four. We are the champions. Alan, you sent this video around, and we'll share it with everybody, of Freddie Mercury playing piano and just realizing what a virtuoso he was. He is a very unconventional piano player. He wasn't necessarily classically a classically trained. trained pianist, but he got the job done. No, that is for sure. That was number four. We are the champions. Now we're going to go in our top three now. All these songs are awesome. Top three. And all these songs are on everybody's list, okay? Cool. This one, Ben had the highest ranking of us. And this was off of the Sheer Heart Attack album. One of my favorite songs ever by Queen. The number three song overall, Killer Queen. This is Ben's highest ranking of the three of us, which is his four. It was my five and it's Alan's eight. This off a Sheer Heart Attack. So Ben, take the lead. So I like what this is about, the contradiction of words that they have throughout the high class call girl. It's their first single off of Sheer Heart Attack. It starts off with the snapping piano and bass. Guitar doesn't come in until about a third of the way through, but you still have his little riffs in there. And then you got halfway through, you got Brian solo. I just think they do a great job. Great blend of the piano, the bass, guitar, drums throughout. Yeah, great guitar fill, as you said. I love the drums on this. Once again, Brian Mace's good guitar solos are very melodic, I think. Yes. 
Yes. And the guitar harmonies that he does with the multi-tracking on mm-hmm. this, I thought was great. And Brian May says it's a perfect pop. I'm sorry. This is a perfect pop record on one of Freddie's greatest songs. It's beautifully constructed, and it's one of the best solos that I'm most proud of. Every slice of that record is pure perfection. <laughs> uh, little things that I visit once come again. Like the little bell in the second verse, which is awesome, by the way. Uh, the little nuances that you pick up. Uh, Killer Queen was the first song to chart outside of the UK for Queen. Actually, they did a play called We Will Rock You that premiered in the West End in London. And in the play, the Killer Queen is the evil matriarch who controls the music industry. Mm-hmm. In the Oh, wow. I didn't see that. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, it's, it, it was. It started in 2002 and it ran through 2019. Not all in London, but they also went touring around the world. So pretty cool. Anyway. Alan? I think there are great opera style vocals with catchy melodies in this song, with great vocal arrangement. But two things stood out to me in this song. Number one, Brian May uses a huge variety of different guitar tones all over this song. And you know they're all from the same guitar, the Red Special. So he's definitely working his amps and his tone controls and stuff. He's a thinking man's guitar player. Second thing is the production on this song is outstanding. The clarity of the mix is on a par with Steely Dan records, in my opinion. Every note from every instrument and every voice is clearly audible. And this is 1974. Yep. Credit the producer Roy Thomas Baker for that. He was with them until the News of the World album. Obviously, a heavyweight in the industry did an incredible job on this song. Yeah, he was phenomenal on this song and the whole album, really. And it is sheer heart attack. This is the album that you really define who Queen is. And this Mm -hmm. is one of those songs. And it's funny, this all happened because Brian May, they were on tour in the U.S. And they came back because he came down with hepatitis. They were playing with Mott the Hoople when they were ready to go and play in Boston. And it was a big show for them. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, he, he's like, I can't make it. And they looked at him, and he was yellow. And they, he yeah. said, I don't know how we got him through airport security. Because <laughs> he was gone to the world. Right. And when they got back home, he was out of it for a while. And they started writing the Sheer Heart Attack album. That's why you have a little bit more Freddie coming through. Because Brian was still in recovery, and he wasn't as involved, at least early on, oh, until he recovered. So, just a little sidebar. That's cool. So, let's listen to number three overall, Killer Queen, off a of sheer heart attack. Okay, that was number three, Killer Queen, off of the Sheer Heart Attack album, which means there's two left. What will they be? Number two is interesting. It was on all of our lists. It was all high on all of our lists, in the top half of all of our lists, barely for some of us. For me, it was my number four. It's number two overall, and I had the highest. So it's crazy little thing called Love off of the game. I always love this song. The acoustic plus that great bass that's happening. The yeah. rockabilly from Queen. Come on. Harmonies to there felt like snapping. Gotta be cool. Relax. May solo, which was awesome. And uh, Freddie Mercury actually wrote this on acoustic guitar. And he said he kept it simple because he doesn't know a lot of that stuff. Mm-hmm. But he actually tried to take a, a vibe on the solo 
but they kind of lost it and went by play it. He's not the guitar player. <laughs> he is the piano player. He is. He's yeah. definitely not the same. I had the vinyl for this. So good. There's an unconfirmed legend. A Roger Taylor mentioned this on a radio show that John Lennon was inspired by this song to go back into playing music. Wow. Wow. Obviously, that's self-serving yeah. <laughs> by Roger Taylor. And Brian May also mentioned it on his website. So it may have some shred of truth to it. They did you know, hang out and John Lennon listened to Queen when he did his double fantasy album. Just the sidebar. Yeah. So go ahead, Alan. Really tasty, modified 12-bar blues tune. The story goes that apparently inspiration struck Freddie in the shower. Yep. And he hurried up and jumped out and dried off, picked up a guitar had the song worked out in five minutes, and the band went into the studio the next day and recorded it. Really nice guitar solo. I love the bass in this song, bouncy and melodic. In fact, I played a gig last year, and we did this song, and I had a lot of fun playing John Deacon's bass line. Really tasty stuff. Oh, it's interesting with the guitar solo. We always talk about him playing his guitar. Mm -hmm. In this guitar solo, he didn't. Because he wanted to have that rockabilly vibe, he actually plays a Fender Telecaster yep. on this song. So, Alan, why don't you just continue? Sorry. Yeah, this is just a fun, catchy, rockabilly, rock and roll roots type song. According to Brian May, this song was typical of Freddie's musical personality and also a bit of an homage to Elvis because uh, Freddie was a big Elvis fan. Yeah, it had that vibe to it. Totally. Yeah. Ben? Yeah, for me, this is a, a great tribute to the 50s Elvis. I always thought, I don't know if this is how it was done or not, but you got John Deacon in there with an actual acoustic bass playing with it. it that's what it kind of sounds like. I, I love the bass throughout here. Freddie actually would, this would be the only one he would play out in concert and actually play guitar for. But right. Peter Hentz came out with a book. Uh, he's the, the main roadie for, for Queen. Yep. So Freddie would always play a 12-string acoustic for this song. And Peter Hentz was like, hey, let's get you a Telecaster. So they got him a white Telecaster and he was playing it and said, this is way too heavy. There's no way I'm going to do this. So I think they were out on tour at the time. He went to a warehouse. I think it was Fender's warehouse. And said, let me see all of the white Telecasters you had. And he tried every single one, and he found one that was just a little bit heavier than an acoustic. And then that's what Freddie used from, from then on. Yeah, they have a hollow body uh, Fender Telecaster, so I don't know if that's the one he ended up with. But that would make sense that that would be the one he would end yeah. up with if he wants something light. Yeah, so... Yeah, that's it, the thin line, I believe. But I don't know if it was in production when this song came out. I don't know. Maybe they had it in like the warehouse somewhere as a yeah. prototype. I just thought that was kind of interesting that you had that the, is, the yeah. top roadie going like, let me see every single Telecaster you have for this. Well, I, so. I think it's the Live Aid video at Wembley where he's actually playing the white Telecaster yeah. when he does this yep. song. Yep. Yep. So let's listen to the number two overall song, Crazy Little Thing Called Love, off of the game. Let's take a listen. Sign number two, crazy little thing called love. Interesting, another backmasking thing. If you listen to this backwards, it says Van Halen sucks. That's just <laughs> <laughs> no, it doesn't. I'm kidding. <laughs> Let's hear that. <laughs> well, Brian May and Van Halen are actually friends. There you go. That's why you put that or at least in. So they say. <laughs> as I read, they were friends. Oh, <laughs> uh, no, that's great tune. Great album. Great tune. All right, we're down to our number one. This is off of A Kind of Magic. It's One Vision. Just kidding. <laughs> Wait a minute. What? 
Oh, Bohemian Rhapsody off of A Night at the Opera. This was my number one. This was Alan's number two. And this was Ben's number two because they liked something better at number one, although they knew the song was the best song ever made by Queen. What so was Ben's so, number one? Under Pressure. Under Pressure. Oh, yeah. That's what an amazing harmonic masterpiece. Oh, yeah. The piano is perfect in the beginning. Once again, Wayne's World talked about it before. Such a beautiful voice. And the cracking of his voice when the other instruments comes in. And here, Freddie Mercury crack his voice. It sounds fantastic. The awesome guitar solo. The song turns heavy and amazing. The guitar runs are awesome. I always love songs that end back at the original melody right. and it comes yep. back. Right. Now, the interesting thing for me is something I never thought of when listening to this song. I appreciated this song for what it was, but I didn't think about what I was singing, what the song was about. What is this song about? And I heard pretty much four options. This is what Roger Taylor says. Like many operatic librettos, it is a universal story dealing in tragedy. He's going to be executed for murder. He regrets it. And the end is so philosophical about it. Yeah. Okay. That's the standard one. It means what it means. Option two is he grew up following this religion called Zoroastrianism. And some of the words, they use the Quran as well, come from that. Ismala was something that literally means in the name of Allah. And Scaramouche means a stock character that appears as a Howard in their book. And Beelzebub, obviously, obviously the devil. And Brian May said Freddie was a really complex person. And occasionally he concealed insecurities and problems square in his life and childhood. So this was about his childhood growing up mm. and him becoming himself. Third option, Mama, I just killed a man. He killed the old Freddy he was trying to be, the former image. I put a gun against his head, pulled my trigger, and now he's dead. He's dead, the straight person he was originally. That's what I thought this was about. Uh, he destroyed the man he was trying to be. Now yeah. it's him trying to live with the new Freddy. I see a little silhouette of a man. That's him being haunted by what he does and what he is. And the fourth option, which is my favorite option, it doesn't matter, enjoy the damn song. <laughs> <laughs> That's right, I heard that about Freddie. It's like, uh, you just make it whatever you want it to be. Yeah. They recorded this using a 24-track tape machine, and about 180 tracks were bounced down into the sub-mixes. Yes. <laughs> they, which they, is, they went through that two-inch tape. For those of you who don't understand how that happens, is they'll record 24 tracks and mix it all down to one track. So now they have 23 tracks left. So they took all those 23 tracks and mixed it down to track number two on the track. And then to number three, et cetera, all the way through the and darn thing. And they'll do that typically with, with guitar harmonies and vocal harmonies. Right, mm -hmm. right. Anyway, this was a top... 10 hit and a top 40 in the US for three decades, the 70s, 90s, and the yeah. 10s, which was the original release, Wayne's World, and Bohemian Rhapsody, the movie. Yeah. Anyway, I'll let you guys get in on the conversation. So, Ben, go ahead. Yeah, the 180 tracks, as you were talking about, was an interesting thing to find out about for sure. You know, we keep referencing back to the Bohemian Rhapsody movie. I like the part in this movie, you see all the other people are like, what are, exactly are we doing? And I wonder if that's what it was like when they were actually putting this song together. They recorded this in six different studios because they had like guitars playing in one, doing stuff they weren't connected, and they didn't have any idea. They're like, how is this going to come together? And it was all in Freddie's head. Yeah. And yeah. it's just interesting. Yeah. But musically, the dynamics of the piano, the singing, the middle part, this is where he brought opera and rock and roll, and he put it all together. Um, it was obviously one of the longest songs that, you know, hard to get on the radio, or at least what some people thought would be hard to get on the radio. Uh, I like how it tells the story all the way through. The instruments are just an extension of that. And then you get into the 
third act of it, if you will, and that's where the rock and roll hits. You got Brian and his guitar, which is just fantastic. And then the epilogue, which just comes back to tragedy and just playing the piano. Fantastic all the way through. And to piggyback on what you said, I saw an interview with Freddie Mercury, and he was talking about the contrast between lighter melodic ballad type stuff and heavier guitar rock. And he just said, I just thought, why can't the two come together? Why can't you have a good melodic song with a lot of heavy content? We just thought that would be interesting. Yeah, and as a guitar player, when I'm thinking about it, I'm like, one of the my favorite parts of the song isn't even guitar. It's at the end where he's going, anyway, the wind, the wind right. blows. Yep. You start with the piano and you end with the piano. Yeah, yeah I love the unmatched songwriting ability. Somebody to come up with Bohemian Rhapsody in their head and to actually execute it to the level that he did, yeah. regardless if you thought it was overplayed or blah, 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 the ability to actually bring that into existence to the world is unbelievable. Yeah, I mean, you're back in 1975 when it was released, so right? Yeah. So it was probably recorded in 1974 to yeah. be able to put it together. When I first heard this song, I think I had a similar reaction to most people. Basically, what is this? Well, now it's considered to be the vocal masterpiece in all of rock music. The song has won all kinds of awards and accolades and consistently places at or near the top in polls of the best songs in rock. It has multiple movements. It's brilliant, complex, musically sophisticated. But as a listener, you don't have to be musically sophisticated to appreciate it. It appeals to a wide audience. And I thought it was most interesting that, like you said, Ben, Freddie Mercury wrote the song, and when they went into the studio to record it, the entire song was in his head. All the sections, the harmonies, guitar parts, everything. Brian May says that even the heavy rock section is Freddie's idea. And on top of that, Queen shot a music video to this song seven years before MTV even existed. But this song is definitely Queen's masterwork, and it sounds as fresh and listenable today as it did when it was recorded in 1975. And I'm sure people today, if they hear this, like, wait, what is that? It's the right. same type of thing. Number one, you haven't really gotten appreciation for the song. Unless you've seen Wayne's World, so watch Wayne's World. That's my plug. The movie <laughs> Wayne's World. The, yeah, the movie Wayne's World. Not necessarily the skits on SNL. Although, those are awesome as well. <laughs> see the one with Aerosmith. That was cool. Yeah. Party on, Alan. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, Garth actually plays drums. Party on, Rob. Excellent. Wayne's World. Swing. All right. All right. Let's listen to Bohemian Rhapsody off of A Night at the Opera, the number one song ever by Queen, surprising absolutely no one. Let's listen. Had to react, reenact the, the Wayne's World moment in the studio here, okay? This was so much fun, and it was great. Uh, everybody stepped up their game, so thank you guys for for doing that. But we're not done yet. We're not we done still yet. have songs that just missed the cut. Yeah, and we'll start with Alan because he has the least. Alan is the winner, everybody of uh, of this. He only had three songs that missed the cut. Actually, so did Ben. <laughs> So I'm the loser is what <laughs> Well, that's okay. Uh, there's three, three, and four. So I'm, I'm the four. Anyway, the three songs that Alan missed, which is number five, was It's Late. Number nine, which I can't believe didn't make it, We Will Rock You. 
and number 12, Headlong. So, Alan, which of these three songs would you like to talk uh, about? My number five, It's Late, from the News of the World, written by Brian May. I think this is one of Queen's best rock songs. There's a lot to like about this song. Vocal melody is great. Really tasty guitar riffs. It's a classic chord progression, and the song is just has tons of energy. Great bass. The drums, I noticed, sound like they were recorded, like John Bonham's drums were recorded in Led Zeppelin. But I think the bridge in this song is one of Queen's best bridges, in my opinion. It has multiple movements, heavy guitars. It has a double time section that just puts it over the top. And then there's a double time coda outro that kicks ass. This song is one of their best rock songs, in my opinion. Now, the two people who got screwed in this are you and me, Ben. We both had our number three song not make the cut, but let me go through your three songs that missed it. Your number three, Radio Gaga. Number seven, Don't Stop Me Now. And your number 10, You're My Best Friend, Dude. <laughs> so which of these three songs would you like to talk about in the Missed the Cut section? I'll have to probably go with don't stop me now okay. mainly because that's what i've been singing all day in my head it doesn't ever get out of my head it seems like it was written by freddie mercury and just him feeling that he was unstoppable and this was one of the songs in reading stuff about brian may that he was actually worried about freddie during this time and just how he felt unstoppable and so forth great piano throughout here freddie's vocals great control that i think he has it's almost like he's yelling throughout this song but he has so much control over it uh, the drums through there i think are great uh <laughs> i love hearing the tambourine as we hear i think it's about uh two-thirds of the way through halfway through something like that we hear the tambourines through there different riffs that we hear from brian may just an upbeat song uh hearing the tambourine always reminds me of it needs more cowbell from snl <laughs> but i do love that he put the tambourine in there so great song i love the the line call me mr fahrenheit <laughs> yeah I, I i've been singing it all day you know going through all the different songs and this song has been stuck in my head all day long all right so my songs that i missed were well, i'll start with number 12 dragon attack which i love the bass line and that's fantastic yeah it is we will rock you which i'm still i may actually talk about that i don't know and number six i want it all which is my kids anthem and my number three, which is One Vision. Which we is, should tell the story of how We Will Rock You came into being. I know I want to, but as much as I want to talk about the stomp, stomp, clap, and the whole thing, it's great. I'm going to talk about, uh, maybe I talked about that in the 80s. I'm getting swayed by Alan here. I talked about One Vision. If you want to hear my opinion on One Vision, listen to the 1986 podcast. Oh, really? I love that song. It's a great song. And it is. Iron Eagle, at the time, I was fascinated with yeah. Jets, and I loved that movie. That movie was the best. I didn't know who sung. Okay, I'm doing One Vision. Screw it. Uh, <laughs> the only reason One Vision didn't make my list is because I thought the bridge was a little weak. Other than that, it's a great song. The cool thing is this, after they came back into the studios in 86, this is after Live Aid, they were originally thinking about taking the year off. But they came back as they were so popular at that point. The kind of magic tour was massively huge. When they went into the studio, this is the first song that they sat together without anybody coming with a song and just wrote on the spot. 
they came up with this a video that takes them through the entire process of this song and its genesis and i will put a link to everybody in the show notes so check that out great video it's great to watch I love the big guitar chords as anybody who's ever heard this podcast knows. And I love how they came together in that space. And what sounds almost spiritual ends up being about fried chicken at the end. I love that. But, right. But it's kind of the tongue in cheek sort of thing. Like everybody thinks it's a God thing. It's a God thing. And then when you stand back and you look at what they were talking about the entire time, you find yourself really taking the word one vision meaning your own vision, going to listen to the song and putting yourself in the author space, not knowing where it's going. And then it goes someplace that you didn't think it was going to go. So I, I, I kind of like that. Fantastic. They played it at Wembley as their yeah. lead off song, well, not in Live Aid, but when they played mm-hmm. Wembley after that, which you can also see on YouTube. So fantastic. One vision off of a kind yeah. of magic is my just missed the cut. Great, passionate vocal by Freddie in this song. Yeah, it's fantastic. Yeah, just to remind everybody what our top 12 was. Number 12 was Stone Cold Crazy. Number 11, The Show Must Go On. Number 10, Keep Yourself Alive. Number 9, Fat Bottom Girls. Number 8, Someone to Love. Number 7, Tie Your Mother Down. Number 6, Under Pressure. Number 5, Hammer to Fall. Number 4, We Are the Champions. Number 3, Killer Queen. Number two, Crazy Little Thing Called Love. And number one, Bohemian Rhapsody. So, guys, this was fun. Uh, we went through this whole thing, and it was good. I mean, Queen is just a great band. And Ben, thank you for really doing your homework and coming to the table and knocking out of the park. I thought you did great. Yeah, thank you. Th- and, this was this was fantastic. This was fun. This and great. Alan, of course, you're... You're the consummate professional. Oh, thank you. I, I gained a new appreciation for the band, not only the band, but all for sure. four of its individual members yep. by doing this podcast. Yeah, this was, uh, now granted, I, I've only done a couple of these, but listened to you guys throughout the entire time. This was very hard to pick the top 12. And I blame our audience for picking such good bands this, this year. <laughs> I've had that same problem a couple bands in a row. The next week, it's going to be interesting. We're going to bring metal back to the podcast with Jake and Stephen Petrie. We're going to talk about Pantera. There we go. Check that out in two weeks. Even if you don't like Pantera, check it out. It's going to be fun. (laughs) It's definitely going to be fun. It's one of Jake's favorite bands of all time. So that's it. And we also have coming up down the pike, Toby Keith and Five Finger Death Punch. And then... We're going to be doing the 90s. Thank you all for being here, and thank you for listening, and I love you all. God bless. I'll see you in two weeks.